On this show, I've talked about loss and grief and how best to handle and cope, but it can take on many forms. Now, experts say that as your life changes and your kids move out of the house, you can experience an overwhelming sense of loss. And the people who cope best with the empty nest are those who are willing to recognize their grief. Now, it's possible that this period in your life will bring to the surface loneliness, doubt, and worry about the future. On this episode of the Executor Help Podcast, how to discover purpose and passion in the next phase of life. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. So with me today is Dr. Jim Burns. He is the president of Homeward, and his goal of his company is to help families succeed. He's the author of many books we're going to be talking about today is Finding Joy in the Empty Nest, Discover Purpose and Passion in the Next Phase of Life. Jim, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I really appreciate it. Well, David, it's great to be with you, and and I love talking about the empty nest because uh, we had to go through it, and it was not easy for us. It's sometimes still not easy. So I wrote a book on it, but I still don't have it all together. So I just want to tell you that right now. <laughs> What's your definition of empty nest? Because everybody's got different thoughts of what it means. Well, right, and and we uh, called we call it boomerang. We boomeranged eight times. So we were just Kathy and me in the house. We have three daughters. But eight times, at least one of them and configuration of whoever else was with them and babies and whatnot came back into the home. But I, I say that the empty nest is when your kids become adults and actually they spend more time living not at your home, but outside of your home. Huh. And uh, and that's when it gets real quiet. It's been crowded, messy, chaotic. Um, and all of a sudden it gets real, real quiet because now if you're married, it's you and your spouse. If you're single, and again, there are so many single empty nesters, it, it gets extra quiet because you don't even have that spouse there. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a hard time for a lot of people, yeah. um, a joyous time for many, but a hard time for, I would say a majority. It just made I, the way my mind saw, do you change the locks? They're out the door now. Do we, do we, do we change the locks or do we keep I them? Think my dad wanted to, he, he, I had four, three brothers. And then myself, four guys, and I think he was like, change the locks, get them out. Um, no, you don't, because, you know, you, you do what uh, Billy Crystal said in, in one of his movies. He goes, well, you know, when you become an empty nester, you walk around the mall say, uh, looking for soft yogurt and mumbling, why don't the kids call? Why don't the kids call? <laughs> well, no, we, we they still have keys. We ch- Believe me, David, a couple of weeks ago, we changed the front door lock because we got a new door. Right. And the first thing Kathy did was get all three keys and send them to our girls. We have two who don't even live in our area, but they have keys to our front door. So we didn't do that. Okay. All right. It just made me think about, you know what? They're out the door. Do we change? What do we do? What do we do? So <laughs> exactly. For, on the subject of empty nest, you did a lot of research. Did something happen in your life that um, maybe a, a story, something? What was a turning really, point for you? Yeah, two, two things. One is uh, with what we do at Homeward. Homeward is the largest provider of parenting seminars in the United United States. And we actually are in Canada and elsewhere too. And uh, so a lot of parents would come and say, Hey, this is fine for my 10 year old, but you know, I've got an empty nest and I don't know what's going on. And even when it comes to marriage, you know, they went into the empty nest, they were focused on their kids, spent two decades, you know, thinking about their kids only. And all of a sudden they buried stuff under the mat or a single person is going, wow, I have two losses. I'm now focused on the loss of either the divorce or the death. And I'm also focused on the loss that my kid doesn't live with me anymore. And there's a special relationship. So we'd hear that. But then I would say it was when it happened for us. You know, when the first time we had the empty nest, 
Kathy and I were so busy getting our daughter Heidi to college that we weren't thinking about the empty nest. We were thinking about getting her there. And then we went to the school and we went to Target and bought all the stuff. And it was two or three days of, you know, messing around. All of a sudden we get in the car. I look at Kathy after about a half an hour. She hasn't said a word and she's got a tear running down her cheek. And, and I said, you okay, Dave? And she goes, yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. I said, you want to stop in Santa Barbara? This was central California. We live in Southern Cal. Mm-hmm. I said, you want to stop in Santa Barbara for, a, for lunch? She goes, no, 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 I just want to get home. And I realized, wow, she was going through a, a, a change in her own life. This wasn't just, we'd gotten our youngest, but now she's saying, so what am I going to do with the rest of my life? For her, she was the sun. And she, because we have three kids, she had three planets revolving around the sun. I would say I was another planet most of the time. And uh, and now those planets are gone. So she's she's having to reinvent her whole life. I mean, she worked, has an incredible job. She has incredible stuff, but she was inventing her whole life because so much of her self-image and so much of her uh, life was centered around those kids. Did For you me, feel this? Oh, I was going to ask that. Did you, how did you see it? You saw so that in her, but did you feel, have that same sort of feeling? Oh, no, I thought I thought everything was going to be fine. And we were going to get to run around the house naked and it was going to be amazing. And that did not happen. <laughs> OK, what for me, what happened was I realized later that I was struggling with what we call the empty nest syndrome because I was going to work earlier and I was staying at work later and I was pouring, you know, the time that I'd spent with my kids into my job. And I, I'm not trying to just say all men do it one way and all women do it another way. But I think a lot of moms feel that, oh my gosh, the loss. I didn't feel the loss as much because I immediately put more time into life, work, whatever. And uh, we, so we had to, we had to relearn how to even do relationships with each other, the relationship with each other, with our kids, because we're reinventing that relationship. They're adults now. And then also on my own life. And I realized I did have some of that too, but it was, uh, it was different for me. Yeah. Besides the emptiness feeling, what else can be going on in someone's life that can have an effect on them? Yeah. Well, you know, midlife, (laughs) you know, we think of the people who do the midlife crisis. You know, I live here in Southern California. Think of the guy in the convertible with the gold chain, you know, uh, meeting the new young, you know, woman or whatever. I'm not talking about that, but we do by, by the time we're empty nest. And by the, by the way, research, you can check me on this. Research says that you go into the empty nest at 48 years, 0.9. That was not us. Ours was much later. Mm. But, you know, you're still pretty young. But sometimes your dreams are not what you thought they were going to be. Your finances may not be where you thought they were going to be. So you're having to do a lot of reinventing at this time. So it's not just the loss of your children being in the house and the mess and the chaos and the joy and the laughter and, you know, all that. But you're also kind of reinventing your own life. And saying, so what am I going to do now? Because a lot of your focus when you have kids in the house, your focus is on the kids. And so many people who are married have a child-focused marriage because, you know, they're putting more of their energy into their kids. You know, I, I understand that. But because they haven't put energy into their marriage, they haven't put energy into their personal life, they get this wake-up call. And the ones who do it right are the ones who say, okay, I've got more time now. What can I do? And it might be, honestly, just go get a gym membership or join a, a small group or, you know, pick up a hobby, but it may be something pretty radical. Like the woman I talked to this morning, who uh, at 50 decided to go back to school and become a, a, a marriage and family therapist. And so she went into three more years and 3000 hours and whatnot. Today, she's counseling 
loving what she's doing, but she said she was lost when her kids were out of the house until she did that. Is it also because we, with kids, we, we, we get into a routine and we're comfortable and that routine and they're gone. So now how do I fill those days that were, you know, picking up from school, you know, arguing with them to pick up their clothes, exactly. taking them, taking them yeah. around, going on oh. family vacations. Those, those hours were filled with a routine. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head because you're, we get used to it. I mean, us, our, our girls were cheerleaders. So we went to football games. So we did nine years of high school football, right? Back to back, right? right. So we're sitting at the kitchen table one day. And from where we live, we can hear the football game going on. So you hear the announcer and the people. And Kathy said, should we go? Well, we were tired of going there. But then she said, but the routine was every Friday night, we went to a football game or then it was basketball or whatever it might be. So you were triggered. Um, you both exactly. were triggered. Yeah, exactly. But we also realized that some of our friends were based around our kids activities. And now we didn't just run into them or have a spontaneous uh, you know, meal afterwards because the two families went out and got burgers together or something like that. So we found it to be um, really surprising. We had to fill up what, what the kids had taken and some of it was even the bad stuff, like you said, arguing with the kids, picking up towels, uh, saying, you know, come home at a certain time and that not happening. All of that had to change. Very interesting. So a lot of people say, you know, part of my identity left when my kids left. And it's, it's hard to figure out what do you do? What's next? So I know in your book and in your book is a, is great, is a great read. You, you came up with the, the emptiness syndrome quiz. What is it and why did you develop it? Well, I found that I was doing these focus groups, David. And uh, before I write a book, a lot of times I'll do focus groups on whatever the topic is. And so I was meeting with these people. Uh, by the way, there were nine focus groups and in all nine, somebody cried. <laughs> you know, and I didn't see that coming. I just, mm -hmm. there was lots of emotion, right? So I thought, you know what? These people are going through what we call an emptiness syndrome. It's not a psychological syndrome. It's it's kind of a made up syndrome, but it's a it's when somebody is kind of feeling a sense of loss or a sense and they don't know how to really describe it or it's a sense or sometimes they're depressed or sometimes they're anxious um but they they've lost part of their identity okay and so i wrote five or 10 quick questions to kind of help them decide where they're at on it and i mean i didn't do well on the test i mean i took the test i mean there's no pass or fail right but, you know there are things where it said you know have you had to think about your identity or do you feel more of a sense of loss? Do you worry about your kids, even though they're away that they're making poor choices, things like, you know, just normal things. And, you know, I, I didn't get a hundred, I didn't pass it with a hundred percent. I went, Whoa, I've got some stuff I need to work on here. But again, it's not a pass fail as much as just, Oh, wow. Here's where I am. Now, some people are in big trouble because they, they honestly, I know a couple who the kids left and they went and got a divorce. Well, one of the reasons they did was because what we see happening uh, in North America is what we call the graying of divorce. So they put all this energy into their kids and then they look at each other and they go, wait, I don't even like you. I haven't worked. I, we haven't done anything really that's been meaningful for years. This has all been buried under the mat. They're not willing to take it out of the mat and kind of rekindle the relationship. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that they were probably experiencing emptiness, you know, to a to an extreme because they weren't willing to even to try to fix it. I'm, you know, I'm saying there's a lot of hope if people take that quietness that you're talking about and the changes and they put energy into it in a better way. 
And it may be work. It may be uh, their relationships. Uh, for me, I found so many people when I interviewed them on friendships that they said they found their best friendships were after age 50. That surprised me because my best friendships were in college. You know, we all hung out together. We had nothing to do. It's at night and we're, you know, messing around. But a lot of these people said we didn't have good friendships during our kids' years. We we had acquaintances, but now we can actually spend more time together. We go on vacation. We went on a bit. Somebody told me recently they went on a vacation together with four people, uh, four couples. And uh, they said, we're going to do it every year now. Good for that. And that's a true test, I always say, of uh, of a friendship is when you go on vacation because you really don't know about people until you're you're on holidays with them because then you might you can't wait to land as i don't want to see these people again go on going on vacation with a friend or even a new partner that that's a true yeah. test of any sort oh. of relationship oh, no it, it, it truly is and sometimes you like you say sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not so good we went on a, on a four of us actually four couples went uh to hawaii of all places and uh, one of the couples we realized you know what they're probably not in alignment. The other three were kind of in alignment on everything. And then there was this one that they wanted to do other stuff. And, and, and we we ended up going on another vacation with the three of us. We felt really guilty. <laughs> no. But we thought, no, you 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 learn to say, okay, well, maybe not a vacation. Lunch, dinner, maybe, but not vacation because you're on vacation, you, you've got so much time on your hands. And some people they want to do this or they don't want to do anything. Well, yeah, with our family, we have it down pat. I come from a dysfunctional family of alcoholism on one side. Kathy's family is a little uh, crazy. And uh, we've been married 48 years. So we've kind of figured this out. Right. But for Christmas, our family has a Christmas party for three hours. And we do great. It's the greatest, most fun time. We start at noon, uh, not on Christmas Day because there's other things going on. But we start at noon. We end at three. We all hug each other. We have a great time. If we would last eight hours, it may, <laughs> it may not go well. But we figured out how do you have those boundaries in there? And sometimes you have to do that with your adult kids too. But, you know, there you go. I, when you were talking, you were saying that, you know, that uh, some couples break up, you know, because of, uh, you know, the kids, they finally, well, they're not there anymore. A lot of people will say, you know what, the kids are gone, I'm divorced. And they believe that their best years are behind them. Is that really true? That no. your best well, lawyers are behind and, and what do you think... Uh, suggest that people should do can, well can i don't story I mean, two thoughts immediately come to mind one is the kid years are one are typically wonderful years and i look back at the craziness of our phases of life with our kids i now look back at those and like them and yet there were times when i went i hate changing diapers i hate being up in the middle of the night i can't believe my teenager didn't come home uh you know in time for uh the curfew and whatever and so there were moments that i didn't like i've kind of forgotten much of that now I, I just look at it with great fondness. However, the people who do the best in life, you know, you don't win a game in sports in the first half. You win it in the second half. I mean, yeah, you build a foundation, but in the second half, you do better. So then let's take somebody who, um, you know, th those people who got what we call the graying a divorce. They, you know, they got a divorce or, you know, something like that. The people who bounce right into a new relationship because they have this need but it's not a good relationship. They're making the same bad choices. They're making the same decisions. That's not a good thing. I don't think you bounce back like that. I don't think you you uh, you know get a divorce after all these years and then just think everything's going to be good. No, it's making a plan and a purpose. You know, somebody once said, and I love this quote. I have it in the book actually. Significance in a well lived life is never accidental. 
So I think it's the people who go, okay, I'm, I don't like, you know, we're in the empty nest and I surely don't like you. So I'm going to get rid of our relationship and I'm going to find something else without really a plan and, and taking it slow and making good changes and decisions. They're going to get themselves in the same mess that they got themselves in before. I mean, you're the finance guy. I'm not, but in finances that happens. If people have been making some poor choices with finances and then they, something happens in their life. Well, they keep making the poor choices the next time they're going to have the same problem. You know, it's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over. Exactly, exactly. So why do you say a fresh beginning starts with the individual? Well, we're the ones who can make the change. Sometimes we are responders. So if our kids are making poor choices, so if we're, if we're married, our spouse is making poor choices. But, you know, if I point a finger at my wife, there it is. I'm pointing that finger at her and I could I could say all the problems. There are three fingers always pointing back at me. So I've got to take, I've got to make sure that I make the, the decisions to make the change, whether that be in the empty nest or in my relationship with my adult children. And uh, when I get that, and that I, my happiness is not dependent on if my wife, you know, does something, then I'm going to be a more successful person. I'm going to have more happiness and I'm going to do it better because I realized, no, this is on me. So I have to be the one who has to be ruthlessly honest about my own brokenness. I have to be able to fix me, not her, or for a woman, you know, not him. And we're always trying to fix somebody else. We're always trying to fix our kids. When in fact, you know, part of when our kids are adults is we're giving them the passport to adulthood and saying, even though they're not acting like it, you're an adult now. Yeah. Um, because if we don't, we're going to raise entitled kids who uh, have a failure to launch. And we don't want that, of course. Can you be honest? How long does it take um, for it? You, what is it going to take for you to get, uh, you know, knocked upside the head that you need to make a change to make those? Do you need to go to therapy? Is it, you know, when your partner is going out the door and you're being served with divorce papers? When should you, what are the signs that you say, you know, what, I need to make a change? Because if you've always been in that relationship and always been stubborn in thinking that you know better, and it's not me, it's them. How do you how do you cope with that? How do you get over that and say, you know what, this is the time I'm going to make that change now. I'm instead of me continuously going left, I'm going to go right. I don't, I don't think there's easy answers on that, but I do think that typically uh, we know, <laughs> and we don't do it. I mean, it's like me. I I know how to eat better to lose weight, but the chocolate chip cookie that I had this morning didn't benefit that. I was tasted good. I don't have to not have a chocolate chip cookie sometimes. But again, if I'm trying to lose weight, I know what to do. I just don't do it. So I think it's when it gets in our head. You know, I like to say this, you know, life has pain. And I, and I say it's either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And that goes for relationships, too. Now, by the way, it goes for money too. pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Right. So but with 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 a relationship, the grass isn't always greener if we bring our same stuff in into it. So again, we have to be able to, let's say there is a divorce or there is, you know, a, a big change Then we have to re we have to reinvent how we're going to do that relationship. A lot of people can't do that on their own. That's why you mentioned the word counseling. And I love the idea that people would go and get counsel. You know, I mean, I get counsel for finances. Right. Okay. So because there's people who are smarter than me, people like you can help me uh, do an estate where I, I hardly know how to spell that word with health, with finances, um, with, with, uh, physical shape, you know, I go to a doctor for, you know, that reason, 
But we don't do that sometimes when it comes to relationships. So I say it's always good to have a coach. It's always good to have counsel. It's not pe weak people don't go to counseling or get a coach. Strong people do. And sometimes that can be just the thing that helps them. Um, I happen to belong to a church. That church has helped me in my marriage more than anything. I've been in a small group with for 21 years with amazing men, five of us. We go fly fishing together. We do all kinds of fun stuff. But we also meet every week. And I'm a better husband and a better father because I hang out with those guys. And, uh, and I've had to open up my kimono a little bit to tell them what's going on in my marriage or what's going on with my kids. So when one of our kids just totally goofed up in college, they were the first people I came and talked to. And, you know, they didn't say, well, you're a no good louse and I can't believe you write books on marriage and parenting. And, you know, here your kid is a louse. They just went, whoa, that's our story too. And, and you know, we really, you know, they're not therapists, but it was right. great to have these men, you know, connecting with me on a regular basis. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it always comes down to the relationships of people you've got around you that can help you move forward. And so when we're talking about relationships, a lot of parents struggle with the relationships with their adult children. And as as parents uh, grow older, they're going to need help from those adult children. But it's still hard to reach out and ask for help. So in the case of, you know, um, uh, an, an estate plan, or I'm, I'm going to have a conversation about I'm doing my will, or who am I choosing as my executor? Why is it so hard to have these difficult conversations talking about death or the, you know, the, the, the relationship that they have with their kids. Yeah. Well, I, I, part of it is because, you know, we, our parents didn't do a good job, so we don't really have role modeling. So we don't tend to do a good job. <laughs> That's on anything. I asked a group of people recently, how many of you had your parents talk to you about a good, healthy, value-centered sex education? And like four people out of 400 raised their hand. Well, that's why it's awkward for us. You know, it's the same with with finances because our parents didn't have those finances. They didn't or didn't have those conversations, not finances, but they didn't have the conversations. Right. Then we don't know how to do that. But yet part of the stewardship of doing life with a family is having the conversation. And so what if it's awkward or so what if it doesn't go well with us when we came together with our kids and talked about our estate planning? Now, again, we don't have massive capacity but we've got a you know a, a life that god has been good to us and you know we're going to have this conversation when we pulled it together our kids went is somebody sick does somebody have cancer is yeah. somebody going to die their panic was that once we got past that no we're really healthy and we're doing just fine when we went through it they didn't almost they didn't want to talk about it but i think part of that was on kathy and me because we didn't talk enough about it growing up so i have, I have friends who when their kids turn 16 they give them the checkbook. Now, again, most most millennials don't even know what a checkbook is today, <laughs> but they gave them the checkbook and they actually write the bills. So it takes them more time because the parents are kind of helping them, but they're teaching them how to be good financial stewards. Right. Well, I think when it comes to talking about state, we had to get past it. And there were some awkward moments, probably on our part and on our kids' part even to the point of like, who is going to be the executor of our three very strong-willed, you know, women. And we had to help them understand that they, we've made the decisions on how we're going to fund this, not them. So, right. uh, and who was, who was going to do it. But you know, you, you have, we have awkward conversations. Do that in any relationship? Why don't we have it with our kids? But we got to do that. You know, money, there, I say there's a high cost to money. And if you don't have the conversation with your kids about this, 
then you're you're gonna surprise them and you have the potential of even in your own legacy long after you're gone they're going to be fighting amongst themselves but if you say loud and clear here's how it's going to work and you give them the roadmap they're like cool thanks okay great and it yeah. could be a very big estate or it could be a very small estate it, that it doesn't matter as it much doesn't as matter the size of the estate as long as the 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 conversation it's, it's the same thing to how i ended up writing my book um my the, my mistake was I didn't, as an advisor, had my parents in having getting their will done. I always would sit in with the the lawyer and the and the client. The day my parents, I wasn't in the room. I couldn't be in the room. I could not fathom them dying. My other sister was, she was in the room with them. But what mistake my parents made is they never had the conversation with the, the three of us. And hence, we ended up having having to go to court because one sibling didn't think that equal was fair. Right. So right. and, and you you might be the norm with some of that, but part of that, I and again, God bless your parents, but I I put that on if they would have helped you become more comfortable, even with the fact that yeah, we all every we're all terminal. The last time I looked, there's nobody who's like you know not going to be spoiler alert, we're all going to die, <laughs> right? You know, and it was interesting because my my dad, um, who I mean, he was an alcoholic. Um, not a, he was a functioning alcoholic and he actually was a very good businessman, but you know, he was an alcoholic. He didn't do relationships. He prepared us so well for his death that when he died, we sure mourned, but we were able to, you know, he, uh, he had shown, I'm, I was the executor. He had put everything in front of us. He talked about actually his desire to be with my mom who preceded him in death. Um, I mean, this guy prepared us because he was willing to talk about it. I didn't like any of the conversations when dad would start moving in on, you know, you know, I'm going to die, blah, blah, blah. I go, Oh, geez. But you know what? That's where really I was. Good. Yeah. But it was really good. And so when he, when we all got together, the, there again, four, four of us boys, when we got together to talk about, you know, what we're going to do with his money and whatnot and how we were going to work this out. We were, we were one because we were, we, I didn't have to make the decisions as the guy who was the, you know, executor of the will. Dad had already made that, but he had prepped it for all of us. So we had a roadmap to go on. And um, I'm not sure, my dad, my mom had died. My dad had remarried. Some money was given to this wonderful woman and God bless her and her daughter. I'm, I think one of my brothers didn't like that. But nevertheless- There was a conversation about it though. We had already talked about it. So I kind of looked at him and went, bummer. You don't like that. That is how it's going to be. We don't have a choice this isn't me who's making this decision instead because a lot of times they go to court because somebody's trying to sneak in on something because they didn't have it in front of them but if you got if you have the playbook in front of you then and, and you know again this is your business but the playbook for me my business is getting families to come together and actually like each other and so because of that if they have a playbook in front if the parents have had the conversations then it's just going to go easier it, will it be perfect? No, because life's not perfect. But it's going to go a lot easier because we we have the plan. Parents have to to take the lead on that. You are one of the rare individuals, or your family is one of the rare individuals who had the conversation. They didn't leave. They had. They didn't leave. Let the paperwork do the talking. You're just like, oh, there's a right. surprise once the will was opened up. So uh, kudos on your dad and him taking yeah. that leap to share. You know what he wanted with his with his four sons, and and that's where. You know, that's why my book, uh, how I wrote it and the reason, because I, I didn't want other people to go through what I went through. And it sure. seems it's very common because a lot of families don't have the conversations, but you're one of the oh. rare families that's uh, done that. And you've passed on that legacy and that thinking 
to your daughters. Yeah. So and that's yeah. what. So and that is like he gave me a he gave me the I mean it's not like I knew what I was doing. I just went oh I'm going to take what dad did because that really worked out and it was kind of similar or funny because when we I met with the girls with Kathy and it wasn't as easy of a conversation because again it was just awkward because we as families we don't talk about death and we don't talk about sometimes money so when you open that up but you know what it did david it, and i'm sure you write about this but it brings you closer together my my daughters were closer together and we were closer with them because we talked about death and we talked about you know money yeah. and um and, and it it's been great so so now it's a part of the part of the family conversation you know, all families have conversations you know ongoing we have our funny stories and we have all this but sometimes if we're all together you know the estate comes in and the house comes in or things like that and i i laughed the other day uh, yesterday i we have a chair coming today we got a new chair my chair which i've had for 15 years and i ha have loved it i said i'm mourning the death of my chair but mom and i are getting a new chair does anyone want this and my girl all three of my girls wrote back and went so glad you're getting rid of it it needs to be burnt it's trashed you know wow. on and on but my point was you know it's not really a part of our estate but i was letting them know that hey if, if anybody wants this chair you're you're more than welcome so well, and it's also a signal to you that it's one less thing that, that they're they're going to throw out because they clearly they know <laughs> exactly. at the estate sale whatever that's that's already gone it's great that you we're, we were having this conversation and these are the sort of things that you talk about in your book about finding joy why did you write it and who's the book for well i actually wrote it for people who are either in the empty nest and kind of going through that empty nest syndrome or people who are getting prepared. See, none of us prepare for it. So I was hoping that some people would pick it up, and I'm seeing that that's the case. Some people would pick it up who weren't there yet, but could kind of think about it. And actually, I always, when I'm writing a book, I keep a picture of somebody, and this is a couple who's on our board, Homeward, where I work as a nonprofit. And uh, they were just going through the empty nest, and they were struggling. And so I just kind of kept a picture for them. My ultimate uh, desire is that they have hope. When somebody reads that book, they go, oh, we can do this and that there is hope and that they can find joy on the other side. But to do that again is they have to be absolutely willing to, to uh, be intentional about the decisions they're going to make. Not you know, we, we do life by circumstance and chance. So if they're intentional, they're going to have that hope. And that was, that's my, my reason for writing it. In my remaining moments here with you today, do you have any final thoughts? No, I would just simply say that for people who are struggling, they're not alone because people sometimes don't talk about the empty nest or they don't talk about the issues of their adult children at all, that they're not alone and that it's okay to go and have a conversation with somebody if you feel vulnerable or, or sad that things aren't going you know perfect or whatever. And I think they'll find strength in bringing people around. In the multitude of advisors, this is a proverb, but in the multitude of advisors, there is safety. So find the, find the people to give you the right uh, advice and the right comfort. So where can people get your book and how can they find out more about you? Yeah, well, uh, two places. They can go to amazon.com. You've heard of that. And they can pick yes. the book up or they can also go to Homeward. That's H-O-M-E-W-O-R-D.com. And that's where I work. I'm. Uh, it's a nonprofit. We are, like I said, we do a lot of parenting and marriage seminars uh, and conferences around North America and really around the world. Great. Dr. Jim Burns uh, from Homeward, and also the author of Finding Joy in the Empty Nest, Discover Purpose and Passion in the Next Phase of Life. 
I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here, sharing your great stories, and also giving comfort to people uh, and families. Let them know it's okay to have those difficult conversations, and they'll be better off for it down the future for the next generations. So once again, Jim Burns, thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.